Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Hey everyone, Steve Green here. It's the Make the Grade podcast. I think we're at episode like 143 or something. I really should look it up and be sure, but we're getting up there. And I want to thank all of you who are subscribers, all you who are listeners, all you who have been really good supporters of the podcast since day one. And as usual, I'm going to try to make this a really, really interesting and valuable next 30 minutes or so for you. I've got a guest. His name is Art Bell. And I met Art, and I was really impressed with him. I think you're going to be as well. Art, how are you? I'm good, Steve. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Hey, look, my, my pleasure. Honored to have you. Art's got an, a really excellent story. I'm going to let him tell most of it. But let me give you a little background on it. Art is a writer, and uh, he is a media executive. He's known for being creative and building, managing successful cable television channels. TV, that's cool. He has a memoir. It's published by Ulysses Press called Constant Comedy. How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. And he was recently honored as a finalist in the 2020 Best Book Awards for this memoir. Going to learn a lot more about that. He was working at HBO. He pitched the idea of a 24-hour comedy network and helped develop and launch HBO's Comedy Channel, which eventually became Comedy Central. He held executive positions in programming and marketing. After he moved on from Comedy Central, he became the president of Court TV it was a guiding force behind one of the most successful brand evolutions in cable television. He writes, he plays the piano and drums. He co-hosts the constant comedy podcast with art himself and Vinny Favalli. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Art, a man of many talents. Yeah. Well, did, was, uh, was your life, did you grow up? Like when they asked you in third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you say? I want to be a uh, television producer for a comedy network. No. I said I wanted to be a scientist. <laughs> scientist. I was a science I, yeah. to comedy, right? It's it's interesting. My parents saw only three career paths. Now, I guess that was kind of a product of the times. Either you were a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. My father was an accountant. So, <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to do that. Okay, so it was so pretty much down, one to, down. <laughs> <laughs> down to doctor or lawyer for me. And I did show an early interest in film and television. You know, I loved comedy as a kid. That was a real passion of mine. And I wrote, I loved writing. And it's not like they dissuaded me, but whenever I said, hey, maybe I'll go into the film business or television, they said, no, don't do that. You can't make a living at it. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like it was gospel. Like nobody can make a living. Somebody's got to make a living at it. Might as well, well that's what you. I kept thinking. But of course, by the time I thought that I was already making a living at it, I, I was really convinced that by my I guess by my parents and just generally that nobody made a living at film or television. It wasn't available to me. So I, it, it didn't even occur to me to go into film and or television until after I graduated from graduate school in business. Interesting. So you uh, clearly had some twists and turns in your, uh, in your professional life, but well, uh, you could say that again. <laughs> so listen, the, the, the most of the listeners, to this podcast are either parents who have kids in school that we're trying to give some guidance to, or entrepreneurs. So I think we're going to, we're going to hit both those audiences really well. Let, let, let's go back to the beginning a little okay. bit. Um, 
So you, you go to high school, you go to college, you go to grad school and you're, you know, you're out in the business world. Um, what did you learn? Were there skills? You know what I find is interesting. I maybe, I maybe have a, a, a job or a, a, a contract thing I need to do. And I'm thinking this, yeah, this isn't really helping me. And then two years later, it's like, wow, that skill I learned in that job I didn't like at the time is really coming uh, to be very valuable right now. But have you found that out? I mean, I, I, got, I mean what's it like to run a, a I, network? What, I think my story is a particularly good example and illustration of that. Um, this may surprise you and your audience. My first job was an, as an economist mm. in Washington, D.C., working for a consulting firm. We did work for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection Agency. Now, the way wow. that happened is... I went to college. The first test I took was in economics. I got a 17 on it. I, I thought, of man, oh, 18? out of 100, out of 100. It could have been out of 20. That might have been better. Yeah. 17 out of 100. I thought, man, something's going on here. I don't even know anything about. I got to change my approach. So I studied horror, and then I fell in love with economics. Now, at the same time, I was still a comedy nerd. That's what I called myself. I loved comedy. I hung around with the kids in college. We did comedy. We did sketch comedy. A lot of these guys were, were writers, women too. I did some theater in, in college. But at graduation time, somebody offered me a job as an economist. And I thought economics was cool. Plus, it paid money. And for me, that was like, hey, I'm going to actually make a living here. So I became an economist. Hmm. Three years later, I decided I don't want to be an economist anymore. And that's when I went back to business school. One of the things I did at business school was ask about where all the people who are interested in kind of like the arts, creative stuff. Now, business school isn't chock-a-block with people like that. Most of the people there were going to, you know, wanted to go to Wall Street or, or uh, uh, finance or something like that. And mm -hmm. I, um, I did find the people who were interested in what I was interested in. They were doing a show called the Wharton Follies. And that was a satirical musical comedy review put on by the students every year. When I got there at the first meeting, I found there were people who were professionals from Broadway working there who actually wanted to get out of the arts into investment banking. So they were going in the other direction. Um, the point is we put on a great show. And the, the following year I wrote I was the head writer for the show, and it reminded me how much I loved comedy, how much I liked writing comedy uh, and performing comedy. And that's when I said, hey, you know what I really want to do? I want to work at a comedy channel. But there wasn't one. And to me, that was the most confounding thing in the world. I mean, there was, there was a music channel, all music channel. There was an all sports channel, ESPN. All these channels were showing up. This was the mid-80s, and there was no comedy okay. network. So I said... Maybe I should work on that. And that's how I, that's, that's how I thought about it. My first job in the business was at CBS. And that was like working at the post office, quite frankly. I was nowhere near programming or the product or what was going on, which was, you know, one of the first things I, I came to understand is that if you're working in a company, it's great to be close to the product. You know, it's great to be doing what the company is known for. Yeah, that's and, good advice to a business person. Now. Yeah. Um, now, if you can't, often you can't get that first job in the exact sweet spot, right? So I took a job wow. at finance at CBS, which, as I said, was a long way. But, you know. It got you in the door. Got me in the door. 
nobody cared to hear about my comedy idea. I could not find anybody who wanted to talk about a comedy channel. So I figured, okay, this is kind of a dead end. A friend of mine called me. He had just gone to HBO. Now, HBO at this point was like the Netflix, uh, like Netflix is today. It was going to change television. This was like the happen in place. And there were only about 800 employees at that point. So I said, wow, I'd love to go there. I said, well, they have a job here for somebody who knows something about economics and econometric forecasting. And you're the only guy in the business I could think of who, who knew anything about that. Um, why don't you come interview for it? So I did. And of course, I got the job. Mm. Now, again, I was miles away from the comedy stuff. And HBO at that point was known for comedy. They were putting on Robin Williams specials, you know, uncut. They were really making a career out of Robert Klein, Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, all these people were on HBO. Why? Mm. Because they could present, you know, the complete act with that. You know, there was nowhere else, right? nowhere else yeah. on television you could do that. So mm. getting back to your point about, you know, um, every job that you ever had is going to help you in, in the in your current job or your next job. I got my foot in the door at HBO by being an economist for three years. That, that's how that happened. And so I worked hard. That was absolutely the last thing I wanted to do at HBO was subscriber forecasting. But I also figured if I did a good job, then I'd get noticed in the company and maybe that would help me get somewhere else. So that's, that's kind of like one of the early things I learned. First of all, whatever job you're doing, don't phone it in, even if you hate the job. If you're in the right place, do the best possible job you can. At the same time, tell people what you want to do. And I was not quiet about that. Yeah, I really, you know, I really want to be in programming. I like comedy. I think it would be fun. But it's not like I let up on my, on my day job. I really worked hard on it. And of course, that helped. I did get another job. Not in programming, but a little bit closer to programming. It was a new business development. And so I was working with a couple of programmers at that point. That's when I decided, okay, time to I mean, when you my- Just to clarify, when you say programmers, you mean people that would create television shows people who as opposed to people who would write HBO. computer code. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I we're talking, we, yeah, we got like a, some people know, listen, was, they're hearing program and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know, no, Python no, or talking, whatever, uh, Fortran, Fortran, that's probably a dead language, C plus, whatever. So we're right. talking about now, we're the people talking who about- are like executive producers people that, that come up with an idea for a, a show and put all the pieces together to make it happen or even come up with the idea. Well, let me, let me even clarify further. What programmers do at television channels, including Netflix, is they decide what goes on the network when. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's an original program. Sometimes it's something that someone internally is producing. Sometimes it's something that a producer walks in with. Hey, I got this great documentary. I got but, this but- great comedy. And, and you should put this on your channel. That's what programmers do. So only uh, every, listen, everything at some point starts with an idea. Right. Somebody had to think of it. Oh, this sounds like an idea. This sounds like a great thing. Then it's a matter of running it up to get into somebody who can actually impact it. Right. And make it happen. Right. So, you know, like when I, sometimes with idea, like I use the word idea not entirely, but someone interchangeably sort of with dreams. Like when I work with kids, like really, what do you really want to do? What's your idea for your future? Why is it, why was it important to you? So you're now, my math right, someone about eight years into your career. 
maybe 10, six, somewhere in there, right? You've been a, a solid uh, person doing your job in the finance economics department. You're holding on to this vision of what you really want to do, right? What, what, what kept, what, what, why didn't you, I mean, it would have been easy at some point or to just say, you know what, nobody's interested. Maybe I'm the only one in North America that thinks this is a good idea. But uh, what, what really, what, what kept, as a lesson to people, what, what kept you holding on to this? Besides the fact that you just enjoyed it and thought it was a good idea personally, was, there, was it deeper than that? I really thought that comedy should be celebrated the way music was celebrated. Mm. That comedy should be, you know, MTV was around and they, they basically handed rock and roll a platform yeah. for them. And, you know, suddenly rock and roll was a thing that it, you know, of course it, well, had it been created a, thing, a genre because now music they, had they, they put this on, video. right. They put it on television. Now what I wanted to do, I, I thought the world deserved a comedy channel. That's really what it was. And if I got a job on it, that would be even better. Why did I think that went back to when I was a kid, loved comedy, saw Richard Pryor for the first time on television. He was like 20 years old on the Ed Sullivan show, which a lot of people, a lot of your audience don't know, but that was a weekly show that probably Sunday nights, 20 or 30 million people tuned into. So I'm watching Richard Pryor. I'm probably nine years old. I'm laughing hard. He is so funny. My father's laughing so hard. He's crying. The audience is laughing. That's 200 people. And then I figured another 30 million people out in television land are watching this laughing hysterically. I said, man, that is the most powerful thing I have ever seen. Now, is that the most powerful thing in the world that anybody's ever seen? No, but that's the way it hit me. Comedy is a powerful form of communication. Mm-hmm. And what Richard Pryor was talking about, quite frankly, at the time was every school kid's experience of getting bullied and he made it funny. And it was a very important thing to be talking about. And I thought this is a great way of communicating. And that's how I got interested in comedy. That's how I realized that comedy satire was a way to change the world. And I think that was I'm, your uh, kind of epiphany moment. It was. It was really an epiphany. So you, you held on to this vision. Right. I don't want to overstate the point from when you're about nine Yep. To your like 34, 33, something. Yeah, 30 ish. Well, I'm kind yeah. of doing the math on when you. Right. So you went to Penn. You went to UPenn? I went to uh, undergraduate Swarthmore College. Oh, that's right. I worked. Yeah, yeah. Then I went back to business school at uh, Wharton, yes. Uh, yeah, right. So, well, it was Philly guys. Man, right. Philly, Philly yeah, yeah. yeah. Great place. Um, so, th- this is a lesson in persistence, right? There's a lesson in, in keeping your dream alive. Now, meanwhile, Art wasn't sitting on the corner begging for money. He was, he was, you know, doing his job and how, how much, okay, let me ask you a question. The fact that you were, for lack of a better term, a good soldier for these companies, right? I don't mean that literal sense. I mean, like you you went in, you got paid to do a job, you did it well, you used it to network within uh, the framework that you could. Do you think the fact that you were a valuable employee in the role that you were being hired to do helped when you start to pitch your ideas to people or they, it didn't matter. It gave me some credibility in the company. As I said, I had, I had a little more company profile at that point. And when I got serious about pitching um, the head of, I I got finally got serious and said, I'm going to pitch the head of programming my idea. Cause when I talked to other people about it, they'd say, yeah, it's a good idea, but nobody's ever going to do it. And I'd say, why not? And they'd give hmm. me reasons that's eh, expensive, you know, it's going to be tough. And why, you know, all these reasons why people, why nobody's going to do a comedy network. 
Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, okay, every time I hear a reason that somebody says it can't be done, I put that down on a list mentally, really, and said, at some point, I'm going to pitch this thing for real, and people are going to have objections. They're going to say, that's a stupid idea, maybe. And I'm going to say, oh, here's why it's not. And then I could go through that. So I really thought about this for a long time. And again, my passion was about comedy. First and foremost, I thought there should be a comedy network in the world. Second, I thought it would be fun to work there. I never, I didn't know whether they would, you know, whether I could end up working there, but I, I wanted to pitch the idea. I wanted to get it out there. So let's, um, let's do this Art. First of all, this is the Make the Great podcast. Our goal is here to give you action so they can help accelerate your path to success. Uh, I really enjoyed my discussion here with Art Bell. Art, you got a book, uh, auspiciously titled, let me just make sure I got the title right. How I Started a Comedy Channel and Lost My Mind. Sense of humor, right? not my, my mind. sense of humor. Right? <laughs> Sorry, how I started Comedy maybe. Central and lost. Maybe it's the same thing. Right. Okay. So, um, let, let, let's shift in a little bit. No, no, this is a biographical sort of thing, right? Right. Okay. It's a memoir. Um, it's it's told from my point of view. It's not a history of comedy. No, 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 no. Not. I meant it's your story. Right. So, so what was the what at what point? What was the precipitating event, or maybe very short series of events that actually got this going? Okay, so I decided I was going to pitch the head of HBO programming. Her name was Bridget, and she was at the top of the organizational chart. And at that point, I was roughly speaking at the bottom of the organizational chart. So I called her office and they said, yeah, you want to come down and talk to Bridget? We can give you an appointment. So they gave me an appointment. Now, again, that's the advantage of working at a smaller place, because if I tried that at CBS, they wouldn't have answered the phone. Bridget saw me. I went down there. I said, Bridget, I really think HBO should do a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week comedy channel, and here's why. And she said, stop right there. It's a terrible idea, and I'm going to tell you why. She spent 15 minutes telling me why it would never work and why HBO would never do it. Things like, as I said, too expensive. One of the things she said was, what decent comedian, what A-list comedian is going to want to be on an all comedy channel. Robin Williams is not going to do it. Their managers are not going to let them do it. That's not going to work. And besides, there's a lot of comedy on t- television. And yeah, on meanwhile, that, they're, they're producing who wants to watch that stuff? much television, mm. comedy television. Nobody. She spent 15 minutes. I did not get to say a word. <laughs> All I got to say was, thanks for seeing me at the end. And the last thing she said to me, which I didn't think was really that nice was, well, Art, thanks for coming down. You obviously don't know that much about television, but thanks for coming down. And I left her right. office <laughs> with that giant truckload of ice cold water thrown on me and my idea, thinking instantly, okay, well, that's the end of that. But by the time I got to the elevator, I thought, she's wrong. She's just wrong. Somebody is going to start a television network. And that is when it really started, when I really started working on it. Because I thought if HBO is not going to do it, I'm going to have to go somewhere else or start it myself. And I actually did explore doing it as an entrepreneur, raising the money and all that kind of stuff. But in the middle of that, and I had to write up a lot of stuff, finances, I really worked hard on this thing. But before I got to that point, my boss's boss happened to wander into my office saying, what the heck are you working so hard on? It was like, you know, lunchtime or something. And I said, well, I have this idea and I'm just kind of putting it together. He said, let me see. So he takes a look. 
He says, I love this. This is great. A comedy network, an all comedy network. He said, did you talk to Bridget about it? <laughs> and I started laughing. Funny you should mention. I said, yeah, she was kind of lukewarm. No, I actually said she hated it. He said, well, we ought to, the chairman of HBO ought to see this. His name was Michael Fuchs. Now, let me just tell you about Michael Fuchs. He was just named, he had previously been named two weeks earlier as the most powerful man in Hollywood. He was a big deal. If I got in the elevator with Michael Fuchs accidentally, I'd break into a cold sweat because he could, he could snap his fingers and destroy my career instantly. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, let, yeah, that'd be great. Let's, let's see Michael. And he goes, come on, we're going right now. I said, right now? I had no presentation materials. I had no idea what, was gonna, what I was going to say. And I knew what I said to Bridget didn't work too well. So I, I had to think fast. We got to Michael's office. Michael was kind of peeved that we were interrupting and we hadn't made an appointment. But my boss's boss, his name was Larry, said, Art's got a great idea. I think you ought to hear it right away. Art, tell Michael the great idea. So talk about being on the spot. There I was. And I pitched my little heart out. I really did. Uh, I think two things contributed to getting Michael to say, sounds interesting. Let's take a look at it. One was passion. Your passion. I love comedy so much. And I was so convinced at this point that there was going to be a comedy network. I threw a lot of passion in there. Second, vision. I said to Michael, hey, you know, we're doing comedy here, Michael. But if this thing works in 10 years, HBO or the comedy channel that we create, will be the center of the comedy universe. How, would, how do you feel about that? You're going to let that go to somebody else? What if somebody else starts this? Then it's going to be gone. Mm, good strategy. And he said, I think that was a good strategy because if there's one thing you have to know about top management, and that was a good lesson, they are competitive at their core. They don't want anybody to get ahead of them on anything that they think they should be doing. And mm. Michael thought they should be you know, they should be the comedy center of the universe because they were already doing it. So that's how I sold Michael. Now, we weren't finished then, (laughs) not by a long shot. He teamed me up with the head of comedy programming at HBO, a guy named Stu Smiley. And we had to do research and put a tape together and everything else. Now, remember, my background was finance. Stu Smiley had been working in the comedy business for 10 years. He knew every comedian. He knew everybody's you know, all the managers, he knew what they made, he knew what their home numbers were. First thing he said to me, he didn't say, hi, Aaron, how you doing? Nice to meet you. He said, what do you know about comedy? And he didn't say it nicely. Because I was like, who was this guy, right? That's what Stu was thinking. So Hmm. instead of taking me under his wing, he kind of, we had kind of an adversarial relationship for a while. You know, we, we were kind of going head to head. We had vision, different visions of what the thing should be. But we put together a presentation, presented it. I presented it to top management. Michael was there. Bridget was there, by the way. And your fan, your biggest fan. Right. And <laughs> I learned another lesson. I got to the end of the presentation. The last thing I said is, if this works, we'll make a lot of money. Because I knew that's what top management was concerned about. And I said, we'll be the center of the common universe. Michael said, that sounds good, Art. I like it. But then what he did, because he wanted everybody to be on the same team, he went around the room and he asked everybody individually, looking at them straight in the eye, what do you think of this idea? Everybody said, you know, I think it's good, Michael. I think it's great. I think it's really good. 
He wanted everybody's commitment individually to this idea because Michael knew it was going to be a lot of hard work and he didn't want any of his senior management team saying, Hey, I knew at the time it was a stupid idea. I don't know why we're doing it. What the heck's going on here? If it wasn't going well. And when he got to Bridget, by the way, Bridget said, Michael, I think it's a wonderful idea. <laughs> you just had to come around a little bit. But wow. you know what? All right, so let's uh, you go. And I hold nothing against her. She she did come around. She treated me very nicely. So what? At what point did you lose your uh, your uh, your sense of humor? Because it well, sounds like up to now. Because I guess the business is hard, right? You got to worry about sales and, and advertisers and all the stuff that isn't really funny, so to speak, about the comedy business. But um, let me let, okay. So let's just recap here a little bit. You have a passion for comedy. You got a vision. You got a great idea. You paid your dues in the mailroom, so to speak, not literally, but kind of figuratively. You get to pitch it to the to the honchos. They finally come around. Now it's about to become a, at least go into the steps to becoming a reality, right? How long did it take to actually launch the whatever became the channel? About seven months. Okay. From the time of that meeting, Michael said, I love this idea. I want it up and running in November. Okay. And that was seven months away. That to me sounded like an instantaneous period of time to try and get a comedy network together. But there we were. Nobody gave me a choice. So we got to work. And let me just cut to the chase. When we launched the first day of the comedy channel we called it comedy channel at that point it wasn't comedy central yet it wasn't comedy central yet it was a disaster the oh. next day the press came out flying against us what do these people think they're doing what does michael fuchs think this is this is not funny this is not a comedy network they can't do 24 hours seven days a week of this it's just, it's horrible that's where i started and that's when I realized that if I was going to, you know, if, if this was really going to happen, it was going to take persistence in the face of a lot of ad adversity, a lot of people who didn't really care to see this thing being be successful, including all the other people in the television business who didn't do a comedy network, right? They, they were happy to see us fail. Why, why did it fail though? Was it Viewers didn't like it. Viewership was low. I mean, you only, you know, at that point, at the time we launched, we launched a very few viewers at, the, at that moment. You know, you didn't have streaming. You had to launch individually to cable channels, cable networks, rather in every town, like, you know, Comcast maybe was running Philadelphia at the time. Yeah, so they, they had yeah. to pick it up regionally. You know, and, and, and you were, you had to go pitch the Comcast executives. Hey, you guys should really put this channel on because it's funny and it's good. So when we got bad reviews, now we're really up against it. The affiliates heard that. The advertisers heard that. The industry heard that. You know, I didn't want I didn't want Bridget's, you know, forecast to come true that no comedians worth their salt would want to be on the comedy network. We had to make this thing good. Instantly, it was panned, and I want and that was one of the reasons I was glad to write the book because I think a lot of younger people, especially watching Comedy Central today say, hey, man, this must then this thing must have been launched must have been it must have been an instantaneous success. Well, I'm here to say it wasn't an instantaneous I don't think much success. of anything is. So what, was, was there a, a turning point? What turned it around? Well, here's the thing. I went to work every day for the first year thinking they were going to shut us down. That was the hardest period of my career. And another thing is I felt personally responsible for it. 
in a way that I've never felt personally responsible for a job before or since. When you kick off a company like that, then it's kind of your baby. You own it. Despite the fact that there were, you know, two, 300 professionals who knew the comedy business working on it at that point, I was the one who felt like I was on the spot and people actually put me on the spot. You know, people say, Hey, there he is the guy with the big idea. The big idea was falling flat on its face. So I started to change my perspective. I, I started to say, okay, what are we going to do here? As long as they keep me employed, I'm going to go to work every day. And I'm going to think about what can I do more of that's working? And what can I do less of that's not working? And that's how I was going to make the comedy channel a better place. Now, you ask what kept me going. That's a good question. Here's one of the things that kept me going. I always imagined if there was a comedy network in the world, then great comedy would come to you. Even before we launched, we got an envelope in the mail and we opened the envelope. There was a tape and it was Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now, I don't know if your entire audience knows about that. I remember that. But that was a great show. It was three, it was two puppets and a guy sitting in front yeah, of Yeah, watching like crappy old sci-fi movies making and making jokes, jokes about it. Yeah. And it was brilliant. And it came with a note. And the note said, hey, we hear you guys are starting a comedy channel. Is this something that would be interesting to you? Of course, we flew out to Minneapolis where they were doing it. We flew out the next day and signed them right up. And it became a hit for us early on. We had one thing to hang our hat on. And man, we made that the centerpiece of our sales pitch. And that's, that's kind of the point. I, I remember going to our first cable convention. And the guy who was at that point the president of Comedy Channel, I was too young. They wouldn't make me president. They put a guy in charge of it. He said, oh, my God, the channel's failing. What are we going to do? We, we got nothing to go to the cable convention with. I said, hey, we make a giant poster of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and we keep pointing to it and say, your audience can't miss out on this. And that's what we did. Because you got to take whatever you have, and you, you got to horse it sound like, sound like it's brilliant. And that's how we got through the first year. We also, listen, we also developed other programming by the time the year was over, we had started to get some traction. But one other thing happened during that first year. We got competition. That was my first lesson in competition. You know, a year before we started, people thought comedy, a comedy network was a bad idea. Suddenly there's going to be two comedy networks. I was laughing so hard and crying so hard at the same time, because first of all, I didn't want competition. I got enough problems, but MTV Networks, the guys who had put MTV together, said, we're going to launch a comedy channel, too. And we're going to call mm -hmm. it Ha, and it's going to be better than the comedy channel, and we're going to win. And for six months after they launched, we had the comedy channel wars going on. We were fighting for talent. We were fighting for advertisers. We were fighting for audience. We were fighting for everything. The end of six months was the end of one year, because they launched six months after we did. They merged the channels. And that was a crushing blow to me because it was like, you know, you're fighting in a war. You're in the trenches. Who, who merged it to like corporations? Oh, yeah. I knew nothing about the proposed merger. As a matter of fact, we thought it would be the worst thing in the world if they merged these two channels because our version of the comedy channel was very different. We had a lot of stand up on it. We were aiming at younger people. Their version of the comedy channel of the comedy channel was all sitcoms all the time. This was a channel for, for people from five to 95. They weren't really targeting an audience that we were. 
We wanted to be cutting edge comedy. They wanted to be comedy for everyone. How the heck would you merge two channels like that? The powers that be, Michael Fuchs, the chairman of, uh, of MTV Networks, got together and said, we're going to merge the channels because we're killing each other. We're both going to go broke on these things. So I got the call, and of course, I was scared to death that I'd lose my job and that there would be no comedy network in the world. Luckily, I didn't lose my job. They took me, and they took the head of programming from the other channel, ha, huh? and they put us in a room, and they said, okay, you guys, figure out what the new channel is going to be, figure out which programming you're going to use, and you got to rename it because you can't call it comedy channel, and you can't call it ha, huh? because that would make it look like one of us won. Neither of us could win this thing. Hmm. So now I had the second biggest challenge of my career, which was how do you make a merger like this work? Mergers are very, very hard to make work because you got two different cultures. You got different right, ideas right, right. of what a comedy network is going to be. I think the people who put us together, the, the, the heavy betting on, on the part of top management at HBO and MTV was that the channel wouldn't last a year. It would go out of business. But we were... I found very quickly that my partner and his people wanted a comedy network in the world just as badly as I did. And we quickly found common ground and we quickly put together a network. We named it Comedy Central. And at that point, we started getting more resources and, and, and having some more successes. There were, of course, a lot of problems with getting Comedy Central off the ground. Um, and we had a lot of failures and we had some successes. But again, persistence is what it was all about. You really had to just hang in there because going out of business was a real possibility at all times. Uh, all right, let's do this because we're going to wrap up shortly. Okay. How can people get your book? Because this, this sounds like if your book is anywhere near as interesting as you are as a storyteller, it's got to be great. How do, how do people get your book? Okay, you can go to my website, which is artbellwriter.com. You can get the okay. book there. You can see I did the audio book, too. I do the narration, mm -hmm. um, if you prefer that. Or you can go to Amazon directly, and uh, Amazon has the book, has the Audible, has the audio book. Um, those are the ways to do it. Go to Amazon. That's the easiest way. So um, here it is, Constant Comedy, How I Started a Comedy Channel and Lost My Sense of Humor. That's right. Um, is that is that, a, is that is that is that is it really that black and white? Like you, you seem like you still love comedy deep down. I do. You scarred by the sort Actually, of realities was, of it. I was not scarred. Um, it was very tough, and I wanted the title to reflect that. Actually, Michael Fuchs was the one who called me in. I got called on the carpet three months after we launched Comedy Channel, and he said, "You know something, Art? It took a comedy network to make me lose my sense of humor." He said it first, and nobody was laughing. Because we were kind of like in trouble. That's what I wanted to point out in this book. And what's made me happiest about having written the book is when I, I talk to parents of people who say, I read your book. I loved it. I gave it to my, my teenager to read because it is such a good story of how to take a dream that you have and kind of hang in there with it, knowing that at any minute you can fail. And that's one important thing. When you do these things, you have to be prepared to fail. But you hung in there and you you got it done. I, I think that is an excellent let. Look, the, the packaging here is is Art's journey through his career. But really, the take home uh, things are persistence, vision, passion. Stay with it. 
uh, you know, go with the ups and downs, learn to work with people that may not even get along with all the time. Um, you know, things like this. Is there anything just before we wrap up, Art, is there anything we did not get to that you want to just get out there quickly? Yeah, I think my story and the book and the way it's told is really a good look, not only at the behind the scenes of the, of the television world, which is a pretty tough business. It's a good look at the behind the scenes of any business, you know, what people are thinking about and how in most businesses, there's a creative side, a product side where people have to be innovative and creative. And there's a business side where people have to say, Hey, look, we either we make money at, at this or it's no good. And those forces sometimes do this and mm-hmm. learning how to manage that, learning how to deal with that. I think that's a very important lesson. I think that's very important to anybody who decides to work in a corporation, first of all, or if you want to get a good look at the television business, this gives you a good look at that too. So Art Bell, you are happily retired now from the comedy business? Yes, I am happily retired from the would television you do, Would you have done anything differently looking back? I mean, I'm, I'm sure something, but I mean, larger picture. Not really. I actually, you know, I look back on my career. I love, first of all, I love seeing something I built 30 years ago or I helped build. Believe me, there were hundreds of people, thousands at this point who built so Comedy Central. And Comedy Central is alive and well. Yeah, it is alive least, and well. Just celebrated its 30th anniversary. I am okay. proud to say seeing that in my rearview mirror gives me a, a thrill every day. Okay. Um, no, there's nothing I would have done differently. I, I think your career is an adventure. It's a roller coaster. You make it an adventure. That's what right. I would say. Yeah, well, that, which, is a, which is a great comment. The people who stay quietly in their cubicle and say, well, look, is it five o'clock yet? Because I want to get out. Only 19 years, three months in a week. Right, right. right. <laughs> I, you know what? I actually pushed for some innovation at CBS when I was there. I said, you know, nobody's reading this report. I'm doing financial report. And they said, you know what? We've been doing that for that way for five years. We're going to keep doing it. So go back to your office and do the report. And I said, this, this is not how business should work. People always have good ideas. Every one of, your, of the people in your audience, people who are working at a company or the people who are ending up working at a company are going to walk in and they're going to say, hey, why don't they do this? Or why don't they do this? Or, this is kind of dumb. Or why don't they change it like this? Don't stay quiet. Get your idea out there. Tell people what you're thinking. Because that's what makes your career interesting for you. Forget about what, what good you do for the corporation or the world. What's going to make it interesting for you is if you keep your eyes open and keep talking about what your ideas are. Love it. All right, you got time for something fun? What, what, what is that? Let's have a little fun, man. Comedy, right? at me now, huh? I got a joke. Hey, guy goes in the hotel. Bellboy is over. He's going to take your bag. Nope, you can walk. It's Rodney Dangerfield, I think. One of those guys. One of the greats. One of the greats. All right, listen, I'm going to, I call this my, my fave five. Okay. Okay. So this is supposed to be fun. Okay. And by the way, thank you, Art Bell. Um, you know, listen, it is very difficult to find somebody with the combination of your experience, your success, you know, your frankness about the struggles that you have. And, and the fact that you're openly sharing this with, with people through your book, through things like this podcast, I want to thank you personally, and I wish you a lot of success thank you. with uh, your, I guess, retirement, if that's possible. Here we go. I'm going to say something. You tell me your favorite thing with it, hence the name Fave Five. Vacation, place to vacation. Um, that would be Little Cayman Island. Uh, Cayman I like to scuba Island. dive. And so you're a great, warm weather Great guy. place. Warm weather, clear Scuba water. diving. Actually, there's scuba. nothing there except scuba diving. So if you're going nice. for the restaurant, forget about uh, it. <laughs> conch shell and 
They had French fries. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Ketchup, mustard, or salsa? What's your favorite condiment? Uh, that would be salsa. Nice. Okay. Recreational activity. Well, you know, you mentioned good luck in your retirement. I am writing. And okay. I do play jazz piano and jazz drums. Oh. I am. I amuse myself constantly. <laughs> well, I meant retirement I mean, from your corporate. No, no, no I know. I know what you mean. And I, of course, I am retired. I get to play music as much as I want, or write as much as I want. To but play piano I love. I have found that writing is so much fun, and I love to do it. And that's well, this, this. This may already answer this next. One. What's your favorite kind of music? Well, it's jazz, uh, but I love classical as well. I don't like opera. I will say that. I'm not a big fan of opera either. I got to tell you. Color, favorite color? Red. Red. Bucket list item? I think I'm at it. Stuff to do other than travel. I want to hit more countries. You know, I want to get okay. to, I want to get to all the places I haven't seen. I haven't seen China. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen Russia. I'm not sure I want to get there real fast, but you know, there are places I want to go. Antarctica before it dissolves. Um, and I urge melts, you, melts. I urge your audience. <laughs> I saw the Great Barrier Reef about 15 years ago because I wanted to go. And, you know, those things are dying. Before it decays. Yeah. Get there. Get there. Here's the last. You ready for your last Fave Five? Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> it's a loaded question. My favorite podcast? <laughs> it says to say the Make the Great Podcast. The podcast I'm, I'm on. That, oh, your podcast. Uh, that, that are, no, no. The podcast I'm on. Your podcast right now is my favorite there, podcast. There we go. And that's we're having a great easy. time. And I think what you do is is remarkable. Talking <laughs> to you. the, you know, talking to people about business and entrepreneurship and what it takes to be successful. I think that's the, the one thing I think we share, not only presumptuous, is I, I think we both share a passion for what we do. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't really get into that as much in, in certainly in this conversation, because I really wanted this to be about you being able to tell your story. But to me. That's the most important thing. I don't care. What, it really doesn't matter what you do. If you're passionate about it and you, you did your best at it every day, and whether you're a student or you're an entrepreneur or you're an accountant or an economist, economist, whatever, you got to bring, you got to bring it every day. Hey, this was the Make the Great Podcast. Steve Green, my guest, Art Bell. One last time. Let me see if I can say it from memory. How I started a Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor. Right, that's the subtitle. It's constant, constant comedy. comedy. How and, I started Comedy Central. Uh, check it out on Amazon. Check it on our site, and we roll from there. Hey, I got a lot of great guests coming up. If you're listening to this and you say I could do what Art did, I could be a guest. Reach out. Let me know. I'm I'm scheduling into March, April, May, and as long as you got something to say that you think people would like to hear and can help them achieve success, I'm all ears. And uh, that is it. Plenty of stuff going on in the academic world. Plenty of stuff going on in the business world. Plenty of very, very interesting people out there. And I am trying to bring them into the forefront and give them an, a platform to do their thing. So uh, one last time, Art Bell, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day, week, thank and you, all Steve. that stuff. And uh, appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Let me, let me cue. I forgot the music in the beginning. So uh, Art, you might appreciate this. I wrote this. It's me playing the guitar here. About that. Not jazz. Kind of semi jazz. Folky jazz, maybe. Yeah, here we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will see you next time. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. 
For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.